Hi, I'm Laura Latimer, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, this is the number one podcast to help you win the day every day. Here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go. Welcome back to Win the Day. A quote for this episode comes from Helen Keller and says, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. If you've been a fan of the show for a while, you'll know how much I love bringing on people who are crushing it in the world, and today's guest is no exception. And looking at life as a daring adventure, as Helen Keller reminds us, has certainly been her superpower. Laura Latimer is an international speaker, a leader in healthcare tech, and a pioneer in the no-code, low-code movement of entrepreneurship. Her heart beats for empowering women and improving the lives of travel healthcare workers. Laura started her company, Nomadicare, without the usual resources people have. She had barely any experience, no training, and certainly no external funding. But the one thing she did have was a lot of heart. And if you've read any of my books, you'll know that the right attitude makes all the difference. While working in the healthcare industry, Laura experienced a problem firsthand and said to herself, you know what? I'm going to be the one to fix this. And that was when her mission to revolutionize the travel healthcare industry was born. Today, Laura is part of the 2% of women entrepreneurs who generate more than 1 million US dollars in annual revenue. But more importantly, she's making an enormous impact on the world. In this interview, we'll go through the most defining moment in Laura's life, how Laura turned a simple idea into a million dollar brand, the dizzying highs and crushing lows of entrepreneurship, her tips to help you create a business without any experience, training or money, how Laura maintains a winning mindset and a whole lot more. Laura is a very good friend of mine. She loves a latte as much as I do too, which I think started from her time in Australia. And I know you're going to get a ton of value out of this one. Let's win the day with Laura Latimer. Laura, always great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the Win the Day show. Oh, thank you so much, James. I am so happy to be here. Well, to kick things off, can you take us into a little bit about what your life was like growing up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be happy to. So growing up, um, I had a really amazing family. So I was middle child. I get kind of like teased right now from some funny, some of my friends that are like, man, did you grow up in like the Brady Bunch? And just how much we were like the cliche, sweet family, middle class lived in this beautiful bubble of a life. Right. And I was involved in a ton of stuff. And my family was um, very uh, supportive of me. And all of those things sound great where probably people are like, well, Laura, that's, that's a great, <laughs> but I think what is like really funny is uh, people will tell parents today, they're like, Hey, don't worry really too much about what you do because at the end of it, your kid's going to want therapy for it, no matter like what you do. <laughs> and for me, I think the part that I didn't get as much of in my childhood that I ended up getting to develop in my adulthood, luckily was really my ability to think for myself. I sometimes think there's like such blessings and adversity when you're young that really like helps you think about the world in a different way. And I grew up in such a beautiful childhood where things were kind of handed to me. And I was like, oh, this is what life is supposed to be. Cool. Done. Figured out with the bow. And then later in life, so much else changed. Um, That helped me think about my childhood maybe in a little bit of a different way. 
Totally. Well, as a teenager, what did success look like to you? And was when did having your own business first come on your radar? Oh, man. So as a teenager, um, like many people in Texas, especially back then, success meant one thing to us. <laughs> getting married and having babies. And I was like right in line with like that being success. We were very much like you go to college, you fall in love, you have your kids, you'll have some kind of career. You might decide to stay at home and you get a house. And, and so probably all the way, even into undergrad, that was my definition of success. And I think looking back, that was my definition of success, of course, because that was all of my friends' definitions of success. And one thing that I know, you know, James, and like, I think anybody who's really into entrepreneurship knows is you become the people you surround yourself with pretty much inevitably. So we all had the same kind of viewpoints back then. And that is what I defined as success. Now, um, now looking back, I love the thought that who I am today is completely by luck of me not getting what I thought I wanted. And I had that magnet on my fridge for a while, actually. And it was recently that I was like, man, there's been so many things I didn't get that I thought I wanted that I am so grateful for now, like so grateful for. And that's one of them. So by the time I was getting out of school, um, I wasn't in love. I didn't have the relationship and all of that. So I had to figure out what to do next. And for me, it wasn't entrepreneurship yet. It was travel was the next thing. So uh, one thing I realized when I was getting out of occupational therapy school is I could, with my occupational therapy degree, move to Australia and get a job there in Australia. And to me, that was like the wildest thing I could possibly do. And I did it. I booked a flight, a one-way ticket to Australia. I sold everything I had and um, I didn't know anybody there. And this was crazy for me at the time. And I uh, moved to Australia and it is literally my favorite memory of my life was the day the plane was landing and I didn't know a single person and everything I owned was on my back and I didn't have a job yet. And I had a few thousand dollars and I had a degree to hopefully find a job. And that feeling in my heart of like, it's just me. And I was solo in this new country was, is like my favorite feeling I've ever had. And, um, and then from there though, and as we'll probably get into, like my business is a lot to do with traveling. And so travel became a huge part of my life. But as I got there, um, I, to my (laughs) parents' worst fear, I met a guy, nothing romantic. I just met a guy who was a little bit more uh, ambitious and and, like traveling person than me. And he talked me into going to Bali, Indonesia. And, and he taught, it was a $45 flight from Australia. And he was like, let's go. You can see Southeast Asia. And I did it. I booked the flight after doing just a few weeks in Australia, meeting other backpackers in Australia and just starting to open my mind up to like travel as a growth concept, right? As travel as a way to like learn more things. And it was the first thing I ever did in my life that my parents straight up told me not to do. And I did it anyway. And I ended up going to Indonesia and all over Southeast Asia. Now, travelers know Southeast Asia is a well-worn backpackers like path. Like you can go to all these different places. But in my dad's head, all he could hear was like, my daughter's going to Vietnam. All he knew was the Vietnam War. He thought I was going to die. Literally, he took out life insurance on me and thought I was going <laughs> to die. And, um, and I did it anyway. And I did most of that trip solo. And I'll tell you what, like that trip, was probably the most impactful 
impulse decision I ever made because in doing that trip, it was the first time in my life at that point to ever be exposed to other religions and other cultures, other poverty levels that I had seen, other um, other like perspectives of what successes or happinesses or impact is. Uh, even meeting people in the hostels is huge. Meeting people from Sweden and from Germany and from New Zealand, like totally changed um, the way I saw the world. And I'll tell you the biggest thing I got out of that trip was it changed my relationship with truth. And um, from there, I stopped believing in truth as like a capital T, here's the right way to do life, here's the wrong way. And in breaking up with that, that kind of definition of like, here's a good way to do life, you're like, oh my God, I'm so free to define my own life. I'm so free to um, see that people just kind of pick truths based on their location and what feels good and who they're around. And you don't, you don't have to, you can kind of think for yourself first time I was like 24 and it was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. I love that. And, and people, they hear a lot about people who do solo travel, but it sounds so intimidating for those who haven't done it. What did making that, I love everything that you shared there about traveling the world and all of those different perspectives. Was there anything in particular that solo travel did to help you change your perspective either of who you are or the world around you? Yes, 100%. So solo travel versus the times I've traveled with someone else, you are now 100% up to you, um, everything you do. And when you're with someone else, you just kind of go back and forth on what should we do today? When you're in the hostels with someone else, you're with someone else. So it's like, less easy to be approached by, and you don't have to get the bravery up to talk to someone you don't know to go do something with a group of people that day. And so solo travel, all of a sudden, everything falls on you, which probably if you you know grew up being cared for and all of that, and then college, you always have your friends and you always go out with your friends. And I have a distinct memory in college of me and a group of friends saying like, oh my God, I would never go to the movies by myself. And me being like, oh, I know me either. And now I can't even imagine thinking that, you know, I can't even imagine me thinking that, but um, it's so amazing. And being able to trust yourself and being able to realize like you, you can make decisions just based on what makes you happy that day too. And the bravery you realize you have inside of you to go up to people and try new things on your own and listen to stories from strangers and care so much about them. And um, you just gain confidence very quickly traveling solo. And I also think it takes away a lot of the stereotypes that you have in what, you know, what is dangerous or not. Cause as you get out there and you're in it, you're like, this isn't really that dangerous. There's common sense to be had. Sure. Same common sense you have at home, but I got to develop the belief that people are mostly by and large, so good around the world. And it does give you that confidence of safety of the world, humanity a little bit more too. Yeah, it's so true. I've been in, in some some places that were documented as being extremely dangerous. And when you're there, you just, to- for the most part, you feel totally amazing and interesting, the solo travel there. It sounds like it didn't just give you confidence. It also gave you peace. It also gave you harmony. And I know that's obviously had a, a, some pretty great ramifications as a good foundation for uh, the nomadic care business that you built, which I'm super excited to talk about shortly. Of all the people that mm. you met on the on the travel that you've done, you and I have both been to a, a ton of, of different countries and you've you've met so many amazing mm. people on these adventures. Of those people who are gallivanting around the world and seemingly can't sit still, it seems to be the on the flip side, there are people who who grow up and they stay in the same town 
that they're in. Of course, there's no right or wrong, but I'm wondering if there was any unifying bond or or common traits or characteristics of all those people who were traveling around. Was there was there a, an itch that they were trying to scratch or were they trying to mm-hmm. find out their purpose or their, their place in the world? Um, so I think that's a good question. I think if there was one word that I feel like was unifying about the travelers I met, it would be curiosity. Because I think as people are traveling, they're they're craving, seeking something that is different than what they know. They're intentionally staying in like, a, like in hostels in your young 20s. Like it's a room of like eight beds, you know, all bunk beds that are super uncomfortable with a tiny locker. And like nothing is comfortable per se about traveling, especially when you have no money. So you're doing it the, the rugged way and which is my favorite way. But it's everyone is seeking to like experience something that is not what they knew. And so there's this craving for experiences and it's a craving to learn. And with that though, comes more open-mindedness. You know, if you are in something that you're comfortable in and you've done over and over, you might start feeling like you're an expert, you know, what's what, and this is that now you're in a culture where you know, nothing, you might not even know the language. You might not know what currency translates to. You are now back in this like childlike state of like figuring stuff out constantly. And, uh, and that the bond thing you get to do too, with two people that are in a, like a fish out of water is really cool. But I think the unifying thing is like, um, a sense of like, let's see something I don't know. Let's learn. Let's not judge it. Let's like dive in and experience it, which is really cool. Yeah, I love that. And apart from the international travel that you've done, you've also lived in a bunch of different places in America. <laughs> what have what are the benefits that just living in different places around America? What, what benefits and advantages has that given you? Well, I think um, a little bit similar where it always keeps me humble. It, it, keep, like, it keeps me uncomfortable-ish where um, and I'll kind of backtrack a little bit because I know a lot of people don't know me on here. I traveled so much inside the States too, because for a long time I was a travel occupational therapist. So that's like a, a healthcare career choice where you can go around to different cities and States and help places that need, um, that need healthcare, right? So you're traveling around doing that. So that is why I was traveling so much mostly. And then sometimes it was because I just wanted to, but, um, but I think, yeah, for, for me, it was a similar thing. Like you are as the international traveler where I was constantly still in a new culture, like Berkeley, California and Manhattan, New York are not similar. You know, they're so different. The cultures are there. And then to go straight into the hub of San Francisco and like dive into the tech world when I was learning technology for nomadic care, or when I was in San Diego, you know, I loved San Diego and the beaches and it just keeps me curious, which is my favorite value, like me personally. And so I think anytime I kept moving around, I mean, you can't really get too like too sure of yourself, which is I think a really good thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it give, mm-hmm. it's given you access to so many different types of relationships and opportunities and yeah. things too, which I think is really Huge. great. Even though I still haven't forgiven you for moving from Southern California <laughs> to Texas. Well, let's let's <laughs> let's switch gears and, and delve into the nomadic hair side. What do you, can you give us a quick mm-hmm. overview of your business, nomadic hair, for those who don't know anything about it? Mm-hmm, I would love to. So, uh, nomadic hair is in healthcare, and it is a very mission based business. And so, uh, first, for anyone who's listening, healthcare. There's travel healthcare, and there's nurses and therapists, and then there's like 
uh, radiologists and sonographers. We can all travel to places that are underserved or just hospitals in need to help. That's the backbone of my industry. Now, what happened though, was one day when I was a travel OT, I walked into a job first day, excitable like I am, and um, meet the other person starting the same day as me. We have the exact same profession. We have the exact same company that we're working for. And she was getting paid $400 more a week than I was. It's almost 2000 more a month in the same company and the same job. And we just had different recruiters. And it was literally the first time in my whole career, that might've been into year two of me doing this. It even crossed my mind that I was supposed to negotiate pay or that this was like um, a business or that the people I was talking to were maybe were not my friends. Maybe they were salespeople pitching me a job and their role was to make their company more profits. And I can't stress enough why this is like even a bigger deal in this industry. Because if you think about it, a little bigger picture, we have two different players. We've got um, healthcare workers. And in this industry, it's 80% women who are caregivers and they go to school to learn how to serve, how to have relationships and heal and a lot of relationship-based things. We do not learn in school our worth, how to negotiate anything to do with the business side of having a career as a, as a provider of healthcare. Now, on the other side, these are salespeople that are hired to be salespeople. They literally went to school or had experiences that taught them how to use persuasion and amazing skill sets, but in order to, in this case, underpay a healthcare worker to make their company more profits. And so to me, that was extremely unfair. And I also didn't like that it was like mostly impacting women who were such relationship-based women. But of course, I really didn't like it when it happened to me. <laughs> so what happened is, um, is I went out that night with my best girlfriend and I was frustrated and venting and didn't know what to do. And, um, you know, where some of the best ideas are made is over margaritas. And we Absolutely. were having some margaritas that night. And so, um, and so we did, we started talking and we came up with this idea of nomadic hair and, um, and we didn't have a pen or paper. So the waitress came over and gave us a pen and napkins. And we wrote out our whole first business model on all these napkins. And I wish so much I still had those napkins. And um, and for me, the idea latched on. The idea stuck. And I, I kind of have this belief that ideas sometimes choose people um, because there's a million things my heart cares about. But this one like chose me where it like didn't like go of my heart or my head. I was like, this is, I'm going to solve this. This one's mine. This one's mine to do. And, um, and so it was born from this kind of like unfairness and what it's become has been a really big um, movement in the industry, a huge community behind Nomadic Care that are called the Empowered Travelers, a huge movement in the healthcare um, staffing agencies also moving in that same direction, bringing them together. We've built a ton of technologies and technology can always increase equality because it's data. Um, a lot of things that have transformed the industry since that, you know, that day five years ago. Um, but it started, you know, it started with uh, seeing a problem and choosing to do something about it. Even when I knew nothing, <laughs> nothing about business that day that I decided. Yeah, which leads me into a question that I'm, I'm really desperate to ask you. So you launched this business with pretty mm -hmm. much or basically no training, not much experience at all and, and barely any money. You just saw a problem that was obviously a significant problem for you and you thought, wow, there must be a whole bunch of other people who are going through this challenge. What were the biggest things that you have done that have made your business Nomadicare as successful as it is today? 
Mm. Um, I think that's a really good question. So uh, anyone who is listening to this that does have an idea and is where I was that has like no connections in the industry and no uh, skill set, literally at all in business, um, then you might really, it's really hard sometimes to know what's like that very next step to do. And I think for me, what ended up being so impactful was that I surrounded myself with community and other entrepreneurs right away, pretty much. And, um, and life can be serendipitous, but I think it's serendipitous for everyone, right? Like if you open your eyes to it, you always see the opportunities. And, um, there was this really cool thing in Boston where I was at the time called crash pad. And I moved into it just a few months after wanting to do nomadic air. And it was 18 entrepreneurs living together in a three-story house. And we all co-worked together on the second floor. Uh, If you lived there, you weren't allowed to have another job. You were supposed to be 100% dedicated to your startup and 100% dedicated to giving and being in service to each other to grow. And I went in having the least amount of skill set anybody there, but I did have a camera and I was a professional photographer then too. So I was like, look, I'll take pictures of all y'all's products. I'll do every headshot. That is what I can contribute. But then someone else over here could contribute like web design, someone else over here, new marketing. And it was like an introduction that I needed to just learn some basic first steps. The other thing I had um, was I think the superpower of not knowing anything yet. And what I mean by that is Everything I launched that year was objectively terrible, like bad. <laughs> like uh, the website was was horrible, and um, and the pictures I had up were sized all wrong, and nothing was mobile friendly, and everything I did was bad. But I didn't know anything, so I didn't know that anything was bad. And I think that's so cool because I put everything out with so much pride and so excited. And I think also the community like latched onto that mission and that excitement that I was putting out because I was constantly putting stuff out. And in my head, it was the best looking back. I'm like, Oh my God, Laura. (laughs) So also like, don't be afraid of not knowing stuff and don't be afraid of it being so, so imperfect at first because it is for everybody. Everybody it is at first. It's crucial to go through that. Yeah. You know, your website now is fantastic. And what I think still comes across so well is that authenticity. And I think by making the decision to take action, which you did, enabled you to be able to build a community, to build an audience, which, which enabled you to start to build this business. And you were able to refine those things and make those improvements over time. But so many people who have that perfectionist mentality at the start mm. or who are so captive over their own idea when at the end of the day, the idea means nothing, it's the execution. And you were so good on taking that action side. So uh, yeah, I think that was just brilliant with all of those things you've done. Yeah, thank you. And I do, I I think those early days, I think I'm more of a perfectionist now than I was back then because I almost know way more now so I can see things different. It's cool. The first year is kind of cool when you you don't have the discretion. So you're just like, here it is world. It's, It's kind of exciting. So don't be afraid of that stage. It's a fun stage. Yeah. For sure. And I love that mastermind mm-hmm. community that you were in, like literally living together with a whole bunch of people who were all in. Now, I feel like a challenge for people these days, they have the lure of the corporate world. So you've got this, this uh, monthly or fortnightly pay packet that you're getting, which is the, the lure away from you being able to go yeah. all in on your dreams with that burn the ships mentality. So having that as one of the main caveats for people who are living in the crash pad, I think was, uh, was really, really powerful. Uh, I want to put mm-hmm. you on the spot here with the next two questions. 
First, mm-hmm. is there a day that stands out as particularly satisfying on the entrepreneurial journey? Maybe it's a transformation that you had for someone. Maybe it's speaking on stage. Maybe it's a moment when you realize that the business was going to be something great. What's one day mm-hmm. that stands out to you as particularly satisfying on the entrepreneurial journey? And I'm sure you can probably guess what the next um, question will be. <laughs> um, I think... I think the journey has been so uh, fun. There is a moment that stands out to me a lot. And I think it speaks a lot to about where many times the biggest joys come from. And they're usually after a hell of a lot of hard work leading up to it, you know? And so there's like this moment that feels extra satisfying. And there was this really um, um, hard part of my journey where I was like fresh out of a breakup that hit me harder than other breakups for whatever reason. And, um, and so all of the, like my plans kind of just stopped in my life of what I thought was going to happen next, not necessarily with nomadic hair, just like with my life. And I was like, okay, I need to make a decision. And I didn't, I didn't have that much money then that was like year three. I didn't get very profitable till maybe the year after that, that year was my like make it or break it year, I think. And I was back in New England again. And my brother let me move into his basement because I didn't really have money for both rent and an office. And I really wanted to hire people because I was at a point where like we could grow and it was more than I could do on my own. And so, um, my brother is amazing. And so I got to live with him and his wife for free for a year in their basement. So I could have the money to pay for this office. Now I could only afford an office that I can't remember $600 a month, all inclusive, walking distance from my brother's house and I get it. And it is like, um, so old (laughs) and the wallpaper's falling off of it. And the landlord was like, okay, you can get it and you can renovate it if you want. And I mean, the weeks leading up to that, I was there till four in the morning, sometimes like scraping wallpaper, learning how to like do it yourself paintings. I, I like printed every office decoration myself. I found donations for desks and try to make them like decent. I hired my first few people. And so I put like everything back into it again, you know, in year three. And and then the day one, I like, you know, had little gifts for them on day one. It was my first day being a boss. (laughs) And that day, I mean, of them like coming to work for the first time and walking into the office and, you know, me just getting to be in that role. And then they left at the end of the day. And I just remember sitting down on the ground and the floor of that office. And I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, I'm a boss. Like what has happened? And it felt so hard and so exciting. And, and I mean, that's what it takes sometimes, you know, living in the basement and scraping the wallpaper and like doing the dream. It was felt amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you're driven by a, a bigger mission and you, you touched on mm-hmm. a few of the dark moments there and some of those challenging times, uh, I wanted to. Ch- I like to chat to entrepreneurs about like the really dark side of entrepreneurship. There's the glamour mm-hmm. aspect of people who have their own business, but literally every single business that I ever launched, it is fifty to one hundred times harder than I- inevitably. In every single one of them, it's always fifty to one hundred times harder than I think it's going to be. Even if it's something where I'm like, "Wow, this thing is an absolute sure thing winner." Life just has a an amazing way of just throwing your plans upside down. So people see the glamour, they see the wins but they never see the struggles and the pains that goes on behind the scenes. Can Mm. you take us into a particularly dark day or a particularly dark moment along the entrepreneurial journey for you? Yeah, I think think there is something I didn't know would happen that on hindsight, I think people do say happens like often in entrepreneurship, but when you were the underdog, 
um, people like to cheer for you a little bit more. So when I was first coming up, it felt like the whole industry was like on board with this and excited about this. And it got to a point where, um, Nomadicare was like getting a name in the industry. And I think it was the first time I just started getting like, uh, personally attacked online. And I, and I, it's so crazy how much that can hurt, especially the first times it's happening. Um, and, and I think it, like that they're personal attacks and that they were complete lies, you know, um, it's because my service is free to the travelers. And so I think there was all these implications of why it's unethical and don't use it. And none of them were true. And yeah, I felt helpless and like how to defend it without looking defensive and them attacking me. That was really hard. And I think that lasted a few months that I literally like uh, struggled, you know, emotionally with getting attacked. Cause I, you know, you, you grow that emotional grit over time, but when it first happens, whew, it kicks you. I think the first time I had to fire someone, I lost many nights of sleep over that. It's very hard, uh, firing someone and they say, you know, hire slow and fire fast is so hard in reality. It's so hard, even when it's the right decision to do. Um, and then the last one, and I, and I know you know how big of a decision and hard of a decision this was, this one was for me, but I left Nomadicare for six months to go to a job, um, that I thought was like this incredible opportunity. Cause it was in a tech, it was in San Francisco. It was a tech company that had raised multiple, multiple millions of dollars and the, um, and the founders with the best intention, there's nothing wrong with the company at all, but, uh, with the best intention, you know, talked me into that. I, I really needed this experience to learn and how great it would be for me. But when I got there and I left Nomadicare, this is like not that long ago. So like Nomadicare was doing well, it really was the hardest thing ever to go back to, I think, a corporate job and realize it's because I thought I wasn't ready for the next step, but I was, right? I had talked myself into thinking I needed this and I didn't. So coming back to Nomad Care was amazing, but that was <laughs> super hard as well. <laughs> like I'm back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. thank you so much for sharing that. I have I often talk to my wife Jen about this. I have no idea how people who have like five million followers and fifty million followers can possibly handle the troll comments and all these other things. Mm. Like it is absolutely vicious from people out there who, yeah, are doing it just to to troll to try and initiate some type of reaction out of you. But it's it's a very very damaging part of the world that we live in. So I really, really appreciate mm. you you sharing that because at the end of the day, if we don't have our our mindset right, then it means that we, uh, I, I had someone, Steve Sedell on the show, he was talking about the problem with counterfeiters that they would uh, they would see his, his product doing really well on Kickstarter, they would rip it off and they would bring it to market quicker than he could bring it to market. And he said the most damaging aspect of that is not the financial side, it's just they damaged your mojo. And if you, if you have those energy levels that you then... Mm that you then can't bring to the, the work that you want to do and to the team and things that you have and to the clients you work with. It's it's what disrupts all of this thing and over time it starts to chip away at you. And that's why I, I think it's very real that people who have been in business for a long, long time, you you really do develop a, a degree of PTSD from some of these things that you're that you go through, like just those things extrapolated over time at the most brutal, most emotional times um, where everything's on the line. And um, yeah, it's it's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. It is. It is. And it's like, 
I don't know how it's so unexpected when it first starts happening too. It feels so personal. And, and over time you do grow a little bit more of an emotional, or maybe you just don't read them as much. I don't know, or the things move on. But the, that first few months you're like, what's wrong with me? How could they say this about me? And then after a while, you're like, oh, they don't know. And they don't care about you. They don't know anything about you. It's just online, but you don't sure. think that the first day. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And you've got enough high level people around you who can, who can mm. say, you know what, like this is like, you know, that everyone, once they reach a certain point, that's when they know that they're doing well because it's just impossible to have the success without those without those things that come along with it. It was a question that I want to ask you now, which ties directly into that. On your best day, what's an affirmation that you would write on a flashcard that you would be able to show yourself on your worst day? Oh, wow. What an interesting one. An affirmation to tell myself on a worst day. Yeah. Take, take a moment, take a moment to think about it. I don't want to put you too much on the spot with that one. I know no, I think it's so good though. I think on my worst days, it's so much easier to know like what you say negatively, but on my worst days, I think the, the thoughts that come up is just like, yeah, I mean, probably similar to anyone, but just that it, yeah, like you can't, you can't do it or like, um, I don't know, or that it's not worth it. You can feel tired and it's not worth it. Or like you're, you're not that like, there's something that of that, like fraud syndrome, the imposter syndrome, where especially when you're like, um, doing well, you're almost like, oh, this is like a fluke or something. And so I think the affirmation would be like, girl, like, like this was made, you were made for this. Like this, you are, you have done it for one and you are a creator and you are worthy and you are doing so uh, much good. And just like, I mean, and really, I think also just that grace and compassion helps me a lot too from myself more than anyone else from myself. So if it's written to myself from myself, like I would just be like, I got you. It's okay. Like, like also like, I love you. I got you. And we, we have this, and I have this relationship with myself where sometimes I'm outside myself. Like I have talks with future Laura sometimes, or even younger Laura sometimes. So a lot of times it is like a future me being like, girl, I got your back. It's okay. It's okay. You're having a bad day. And I think that helps me a lot to relieve the pressure, just knowing like it's, it's all okay. Good days, bad days, but then, but then circling back to the bigger mission. I, I like that. I'm up to something that helps people, you know, and that helps me want to keep going. For sure. You know, it gives me chills mm-hmm. actually, as you, as you said that. And um, it's just these things that we go through. There, there was a, a person I interviewed, Emily Fletcher, who's the founder of Ziva Meditation. And one of the meditations that she, that she does she talks about what if everything that you were going through at the moment and everything that you have been through is preparing you for this moment of greatness that you're going to have in the future. And I think as we constantly keep that in mind, knowing that any adversity we face along the way on the condition that we view it through some type of proactive, productive lens, it's all preparing us for the, the future that we're going to have. So with the meditations that I, that I do, I actually finish with that thing, thinking about you are destined for greatness, all of the things, that the, the trials and tribulations that you're experiencing at the moment and have experienced are preparing you for the type of person who can have the impact that you want to have on the world. I like that so much. That's a great one. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a good thing just to remind yourself of uh, of daily because for me the biggest challenge for me along this whole entrepreneurial journey has been negative self-talk. So uh, doing this meditation thing and having something mm. like that at the end has been very very valuable. I wanted to ask you what what type of parts of your daily routine that you do to make sure that you've you've got the self-care side sorted so you can bring the the level of energy that you want to that you want to bring to all of the the high level things that you're doing. 
Yeah. So um, this is, I also think, um, you, people getting to know themselves and their weaknesses-ish and using them almost not against, it's like against them for them to serve the higher purpose helps. So I figured out myself a little bit. One, I am highly motivated by um, not letting other people down. And that's going to be part of my personality. So I love getting up early and I love having a morning movement, move my body, uh, get the energy from the night off, have a mindset in the morning before emails, before I start work. Cause I've got employees now before I bring that, um, how will I do it best with another human, you know? And so I have a really good friend and, uh, every morning, uh, Monday through Friday, we get up really early together and we start our days on zoom and we do a workout together and have this great mindset time of talking about gratitudes and doing some of those affirmations together. It's huge. And I know like I can do that on my own. Okay. I do it with another person like all the time. And, um, I used to, when there was a time that I, have you ever read um, The Miracle Morning at some point in yeah, your life? Yeah, Hal Elrod. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I think once upon a time I read that and it super inspired me. And it's when I had a job. Um, this is just a side note, but I think it's funny. But I had a job then. So I had to get up at 5 a.m. to get stuff done before work then. Well, again, I don't like letting people down. What would let people down is if uh, my alarm clock went out went off and woke someone, one of my roommates up. I had roommates at the time. So I would set an alarm clock in my room for, you know, 4.58. I'd set a second alarm clock by my roommate's bedroom door upstairs for a few minutes later. So I had to get up and go upstairs to get the alarm clock to not wake her up because I knew I would get up if it was going to wake her up. And then I would stay up and do my morning thing. So anyway, getting up early is big for me mindset and exercise in the morning is really big for me. And then the other thing is like eating. One of the things that's hard for me is eating throughout the day when my mind's focused in it. So learning how to like uh, meal prep and making myself eat throughout the day has been huge for my energy and like my mood throughout the day and getting outside at least once a day. I mean, now like I'm like really big on that one too. You got to get some sunshine in your life if you can. It helps a lot. Yeah, definitely. When we had the, mm -hmm. the sleep doctor on here, he said one of the best things that you can do in the morning is high five the sun. And I just, I love that. It's just, oh, the, that's so fun. Yeah. But then when winter mm -hmm. hits and all of a sudden you're trying to, to wake up at five o'clock and there isn't any sun to be had, it's, <laughs> it's a bit harder to, to motivate yourself to, to high five the, the light bulb rather than the sun. Uh, totally true. Yes. The actual sun sometimes is easier. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the last year and a half or so has been a year of, of real massive transition for the world. There's a lot of companies and things who have gone under. There's a lot of companies and individuals and entrepreneurs who have found a great deal of opportunity in a lot of the things that have gone on. What was your mindset when the pandemic first hit and how has your life changed in the last year and a half? Mm -hmm, massively. So one of the interesting things that not everyone knows it because COVID was a healthcare issue, obviously, um, that it seems like the healthcare industry would have just grown through that. But in reality, it only grew if you were an ICU nurse or a respiratory therapist for my industry. We lost 80% of our job orders almost overnight and for like four months. And job orders is the way not just my company runs, but every staffing agency, every partner I have too. And so in our industry as a whole, it was really hard. Like the travelers now had no jobs. Um, the travel nurses, even the ICU nurses now all of a sudden were super in demand. And there was many news stories at the beginning of all of that New York 
when the New York was really bad at the beginning of COVID and uh, in America. And um, they would fly all these travel nurses there to help at these huge bill rates, which means the high pay packages. And then they would get there and realize they didn't need them all. So they would just get canceled and had to go back home. And so even though it sounded like it was good for them, most of them lost their jobs. It was really hard for a few months. And I think where um, Nomadicare is very lucky is we were lean as in we didn't have hardly any overhead costs at that time. And we were in a stage of technology development. We had all of these technology projects we were working on anyway. And so we got to take that time, but it was slower to put our heads down to build the stuff that we knew we needed for the the coming months. Now that's super lucky. A lot of my friends in the industry lost their jobs. A lot of staffing agencies shut down. Um, It was hard. But now it's come back and now we're probably at like 70%. Um, But one interesting thing at Nomadicare is we've never done strike work before. And with all of the stuff that went on with the nurses not having appropriate masks and PPE, there's going to be an increase in strikes. So I was also a crash crash course in uh, helping staff strikes. Um, and that was one of the craziest whirlwind things I've ever done in my whole life. So there was some of that kind of energy of like pivot and pivot and find things you can help with that you would have in any year that your industry is the one that's like drastically impacted. So it was a whirlwind. It was. And I think we came out with amazing technology built that we hadn't had yet. And I learned a lot about a whole new industry and now, you know, job orders are back. So we're kind of moving forward in a good way. Love it. Crazy. They're not providing proper um, proper equipment and everything for uh, for healthcare workers. Who else would, would be yeah. best to have than those people who, who look after everyone else? I know. That was a, a that was an interesting time period, man. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Well, you're uh, mm-hmm. you're part of one of the two uh, percent of women entrepreneurs who generate more than a million dollars in revenue from your business, which I absolutely love. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are starting out, thinking about launching a business for the first time, or even more specifically for for women entrepreneurs who are thinking about giving it a shot? Oh man, well, for sure, if you're thinking about doing it, like do it. There, it's so it's so worth doing. Uh, I would say money, not any like it's so worth worthy doing for the people you'll meet, your circles of um, people you get to be around by doing this, elevate, who you become elevates, your self-awareness elevates. It's just like, I think the best thing to do for someone who is self-growth minded anyway. So freaking do it. Don't think twice, get in there, do it, take the next step. Let's be friends. Everyone's great. So entrepreneurship, I think is very worthy if your heart feels called to it. That's one. Uh, Two, I would say um, the first few years for me, and this was, I think, a huge part of my success, um, is that it wasn't about the money for me. Um, It didn't, and this is very true, it didn't cross my mind the first few years. I literally was doing it to change an industry. I was out to like do something. And then it almost came by a surprise when it became Uh, money started coming in and then it could be full-time and then I could hire some people um, and all of that. But really, I um, have always stayed focused on like what I'm up to in the industry. And it really means a lot to me. And so I would say, if you're wanting to get into something, um, find a problem you're excited to solve, (laughs) find a problem that you're excited to do grunt work for. It's not very glamorous, all of it, but you're very like, uh, you want that problem to be solved and you want to be the one to be a part of solving it. Uh, make sure there is a 
a group of people who want you to solve it, you know, uh, that's like finding a market fit. Um, so I think like do something because it means something to you. Cause there's many ways, many places in this world that you can ultimately make an income. You can ultimately, uh, find wealth or find like financial freedom or whatever your goal is. But the first thing is to find the right fit for your heart in your life. Cause it's hard work, no matter what you pick. And there's no such thing as get rich schemes. There's none, they're not out there. So ignore anybody that says you'll, you can make great money in a few months. At least for me, I haven't seen it. It's just, it's just hard, hard work. hundred <laughs> percent. That's right. Ignore the social media posts from all your friends trying to oh. lure you into all the, the, all their MLMs and get rich quick schemes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Focus on the mission, not the money, I think is very, very, very good message from, from that as well as the awareness piece that you mentioned too. And, and when you do those things, you naturally start to attract the people around you who can give you that resourcefulness and that resilience to be able to see that mission through to being able to create real change. And I know that you're doing some amazing things for the world. What is one highlight? What, what's the biggest highlight of your career if you think about all the cool things that you've, that you've done and the change you've been able to make? Man, um... The highlight, the highlights of my career literally come um, consistently. I don't, there's not a moment that I'm like that one thing happened and that was the pinnacle. There has, it is, and I think that's why I know I'm doing the right thing for me because the highlights came last week when I get like, uh, when I genuinely get a thoughtful message of how, because Nomadicare existed in something I did in the world, literally did impact someone uh, positively, like literally did it. It helps them with something that they couldn't have done without it, or they started traveling in this career and they wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, Those things still spark so much inside of me. And so uh, I've had some really big wins. I've had moments on stage that I just want to pinch myself that, uh, that really like fill me up. I've had such cool experiences Um, but there's, I don't, there's no pinnacle for me. I still get goosebumps from thank you notes. So I think I just know I'm up to the right thing because I still just love the impact as we get to the big impact. Now the big impact, the industry is, is going to be transformed and we're going to use a lot of technology to help do that. The industry will look very different on the other side. We still have big things we're up to, but I get little, little pieces of my, um, pinnacle and my like, why I think at least once a week. And it's, Um, Very fulfilling for me. So good. About the journey, not the destination. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Let's now move into the win the day rocket round where we ask you 10 questions for some fairly quick answers. You ready for this one, Laura? I'm ready. Let's do it. (laughs) Good stuff. Number one, what quote inspires you the most? Oh, I love um, the quote. Don't even know who said it, but surround yourself with people whose values you admire, not whose things you admire. Yeah, really powerful, that one. Number mm-hmm. two, morning coffee or evening wine? And I think I know your answer to this one. <laughs> you do, and it's even going to be, you're going to love it even more because if I could really choose, I would have a morning flat white. And I did that every morning when I lived in Australia, and it's like, it always brings me back there. So morning flat white, girl. I love it, love mm-hmm. it. And I've had both a morning coffee and an evening wine with Laura. So that's, uh, <laughs> I feel honored to have you here on the show to talk about this question. So that's been that's been yes. great. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Oh, for sure. I would tell my 18-year-old self, you are able to do important things now. I think my 18-year-old self still believed myself to be a child where I was just still in a state of needing to learn from other people who must know more than me. And after 
backpacking and seeing, especially in other countries, how independent and um, how much people do at 18 with their gap years, things that I just wouldn't even know was possible. I would tell my 18 year old self, like, you're, you can do it now. You are, you are able to do important things now. You're not a child anymore. Cause it took me a little bit longer to start, I think, creating cool stuff and taking those chances. Yeah. So true. Number four, what book do you gift the most? Oh, there is a book I've been gifting a lot the last um, month. It is called Eat Bugs and it is uh, called, Pro- it's called Project Startup Eat Bugs. My two really good girlfriends whose side note I met at Crash Pad, lived with, they went on to raise money on Shark Tank. They've become very successful in their own right. But what I love about them too is how much they care about young entrepreneurs. So they wrote this book that's like a cartoon book called Eat Bugs. And it is for the mindset of people in middle school to have an idea and kind of takes them through the stages of like, uh, creating a startup and things like that. And it's such a cute book. So everyone I know that had middle schoolers, I all sent them the book. I was like, read the book. Does it involve <laughs> the actual eating of bugs? Is that what they're talking about in the book? They're Literally, because their company is called Chirps, which is uh, chips made from bugs. And it's like really great for the environment and all these protein, all these really cool things. But literally that's their company is Chirps. It's, it's um, different products that use cricket protein in it instead of like cow protein. It's you know, cool. I think I heard about that. When I was in Boston in, in 2012, they, they ran the Holt Prize and food security was the big thing. And the I believe the one that, that won the Holt Prize that year, they were talking about, or, or certainly was a, a finalist, was using, yeah, the protein and everything else to solve the problem of food security. So yeah, it's actually really, really Oh my, and that timeline seems pretty appropriate because we lived in Boston together. That's so awesome. That's probably them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? Yes. Uh, the vulnerability was actually being a girl. And this, um, I think, is so cool, this journey for myself. My first year of being an entrepreneur, a woman told me the most important thing I could do is learn how to act like a man if I really wanted to make it in business. And I believed that for a while. And so I always had it in the back of my head of like how to act more like a man. What would a man do? And I think it's so amazing now to realize being a girl is not a weakness. It's not something to hide. Um, it's great. It's so great to have um, more feminine leadership mixed with the masculine leadership and the yin and yang is what the world needs. So I love being a woman leader now. And I love being, I'm sure what she meant by act like a man is be worthy, ambitious, take up space, raise your hand. I love feeling like, well, I can do that as a girl and still be my feminine leadership. So, um, owning that I am a girl (laughs) is a great one. (laughs) Yeah. Well said. Number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? Mm. Yes. So failure. Um, the thing I think about is how boring would parties be without failure? If you can imagine sitting next to the person who has nothing to say, but their successes, you don't want to sit next to that person. It's the bad dates. It's the business illness went bankrupt. It's the low parts that makes life so like juicy and texture. So I think uh, the faster you can turn your failures into like a funny story, the faster you can gain perspective and remember hey, that's what makes me kind of interesting. It makes it a whole different flavor. (laughs) Number seven, if you could have a conversation on a park bench with someone alive or Mm. dead, who would it be? Um, It would be uh, my future daughter, 
I can't wait to talk to her on the park bench one day. And, um, and two, uh, there is this really cool woman that randomly I follow on TikTok. Don't know her. She's not famous, but she's 28 and adopted seven kids and started a whole school village over there. And is like the expression of joy for, for nothing, right? Like she doesn't have a lot of money. I'm just obsessed with her, honestly. And I'm like, I want to sit next to that girl and get some of her like joy. She's so, (laughs) what she's up to is so cool to me. Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or business? Ah, um, so this one, um, is not really like a a tech tool, although we use a ton. I think the biggest resource is the ability to have the right, um, have good questions and language is the biggest resource I think you can have in business. So little things like saying, I get to do something versus I have to do something makes a difference. Uh, Asking yourself questions and the discipline to answer them often of like, well, why am I doing this? And is this the right thing to prioritize if this is the end goal? Asking questions in a consistent basis is the best resource I think you can have to continuously have a meaningful business to the business you want to have. For sure. I believe there's very little in life that can't be solved by asking yourself the right question. So I'm really happy mm. you said that. Uh, number yeah. nine, what's one thing on your bucket list? Um. Oh, oh gosh. Um. My bucket list... Man, I don't know what would be on my bucket list. I actually don't have this you've one on done, the top of my head. You've done so much, haven't you? Maybe another trip to Australia or possibly moving I would, back to Southern California. I would. You know, I really, um, well, I'd love to, to meet your daughter. Uh, I haven't met your daughter yet. Um, that would be a fun one. And I think for me, like, uh, you, I mean, I kind of said it on the park bench. You can't plan it. But if I could pick something I can't plan, I'd love to have a, the experience of having a daughter one day. I think that'd be way cool. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And final question, number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day? Mm, Okay. So the thing I do to win the day is stay alive. And why I think that is winning the day is because um, some days I'm not perfect with my morning routine. Some days I am. Some days um, I crushed it and I'm like, yo, I rocked it today. And some days I'm like, oh, did I just run in circles? But the thing is, I think if I can always, or actually here's what I'll say, the days I remember that being alive is winning the day, like how incredible it is to like still be alive. That is winning the day. So I guess it's probably more like gratitude, right? But if I can remember at night, like, dude, I'm breathing. That rocks. I'm alive right now. And I think the more I can remember that, that's winning the day. We're alive. Good job. We did it. Yeah, I think that's the perfect one to finish on. I absolutely love that. Well, there are a bunch of ways you can connect with Laura. You can go and uh, follow Nomadic Hair on Instagram, Nomadic Hair on Facebook, and her website is also nomadichair.com. Again, all of that and more will be linked in the show notes. Laura, always so great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, James. I'll talk to you later. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Laura Latimer. Remember, the right bit of inspiration can completely transform someone's life. So share this episode with a friend or loved one who needs to hear it. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. And if you want to support the show, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Win the Day with James Whitaker is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for this episode. Remember to get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.